Welcome to the Shortwave Report for December 9th, 2011. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio and a schedule of English-language broadcast or a computer with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's www.outfarpress.com, you can find a schedule for dozens of international broadcasters in English. There you can also listen to the past four shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Spanish National Radio, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, NHK World Radio Japan, China Radio International, Radio Havana Cuba, and The Voice of Russia. We'll begin with Spanish National Radio. Eurozone countries are investigating rating agencies for unfair influence on their economic problems. Spanish indignados are continuing their rallies and occupations of foreclosed housing. A cooperative bank in Catalonia has frozen all accounts due to a lack of funds. Spanish National Radio. European politicians have criticized the ratings agency Standard & Poor's for putting 15 Eurozone countries on credit watch only three days before a crucial EU summit in Brussels. Eurogroup chairman Jean-Claude Juncker described S&P's move as a wild exaggeration and also unfair. But Germany's finance minister Wolfgang Schäuble welcomed it as the best possible incentive ahead of Friday's summit. S&P announced late last night that it had placed its long-term sovereign ratings of Germany, France, Austria, the Netherlands, Finland and Luxembourg, all of them with AAA ratings, under review. In fact, the only two Eurozone countries not put on credit watch were Cyprus, which is already under review, and Greece, whose rating was severely downgraded months ago. Meanwhile, it has emerged that a European Union watchdog has been investigating credit rating agencies since the beginning of November to look at how they rank sovereign bonds. Officials from the European Securities and Markets Authority have been visiting offices of the three big agencies, Standard & Poor's, Moody's and Fitch. Some Eurozone officials say the ratings agencies have worsened the crisis. Europe's inspectors have been examining how the rating agencies conduct their business and arrive at their ratings. If any wrongdoing were to be found, the European body has the power to fine the agencies, suspend their ratings or even withdraw their licence. Thousands of Spanish indignados gathered last night to protest against the police eviction earlier in the day of the squatters occupying an abandoned hotel in the centre of Madrid. The rally that began at eight in the evening soon turned into an improvised march with the police escorting the demonstrators as they concentrated in front of Madrid's town hall in Cibeles and then returned to the Puerta del Sol. For every eviction, an occupation. A group of the protesters kicked in doors of other abandoned buildings, inspecting them for possible future occupation. But it wasn't until this afternoon that the squatters found a new spot to illegally occupy. Police yesterday evicted 103 people from the hotel, most of whom were families that had lost their homes to foreclosures and had turned to the squatters for help. 
And in the United States, the Occupy Wall Street movement, which has been protesting for months now against growing income inequality and the role of corporations in government, has announced it is taking a new tack and has called a National Day of Action to help people facing foreclosure to fight eviction. The movement has seen a spate of encampments dismantled by police in several cities in the country in the past weeks. Many of the 3,000 people who live in a small village called Laldea in the province of Tarragona in Catalonia have been told that their accounts in a local cooperative bank have been frozen because the bank doesn't have enough cash to allow them to withdraw their savings. It's what happened in Argentina exactly 10 years ago when people were denied access to the money they had in their bank accounts. The people of Laldea now have only what's in their piggy banks, if anything, to live off. These people are victims of the euro crisis, but the fear is that the phenomenon might start spreading nationwide. Those reports were from Spanish National Radio, now heard from 4 to 5 p.m. at 5970, and podcasting at www.rtve.es. All the times I'm announcing are for Pacific Standard Time, so adjust them to your time zone. Next, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. British Prime Minister Cameron threatened to block a new EU treaty designed to save the euro. Then a review of the scope and impact of the two million public workers who went on strike last week in the UK. Radio Deutsche Welle. British Prime Minister David Cameron has threatened to block a new European Union treaty designed to save the euro from the debt crisis. In an article for Wednesday's Times newspaper, Cameron said he would only agree to changes to the EU treaty if it did not clash with British interests. Cameron added that Britain's high, huge financial sector and the single market would have to be protected if he were to sign up to a new EU-wide treaty aimed at resolving the crisis in the euro. His threat increases the likelihood that France and Germany, who proposed rewriting the treaty on Monday, will end up pushing for an agreement between just the 17 nations who use the euro and not all 27 EU states. In Britain, nearly 2 million public sector workers have taken part in a one-day strike to protest changes to their pensions. Around two-thirds of schools were closed and thousands of hospital operations had to be cancelled. But despite the fact that around 30% of public sector employees stayed away from work, fears that the country would grind to a standstill were unfounded. Nick Martin reports from London. Ministers say many of Britain's public sector workers have been enjoying gold-plated pensions that are simply unsustainable. Workers say the government's plans are no way to reward staff for a lifetime service to the nation. Thousands of public sector workers joined in marches across Britain with one of the largest in central London. With plans to scrap final salary pensions and force workers to contribute more and accept less, London teacher Judith McAteer says morale in her profession is at an all-time low. Conditions are getting worse, pay is getting worse, and the only thing we had to look forward to was you had an OK pension and now that's going to be taken away from us too. I'm facing a time where I'm reconsidering my career at times because the situation is getting I'd be much better in the private sector and get much more money and better job security. 
But I love doing my job. I love teaching. It's, it's what I really wanted to do all my life. Under the government's plans, unions forecast that most workers will need to pay in an additional 50% from their salary. For some, contributions will double. Officials say with life expectancy increasing and weaker global investment returns, workers from the private sector are currently subsidising the retirement plans of the civil service. But unions are convinced the British public is on their side. Karen Jennings is from Unison, the UK's biggest public sector union. I noticed yesterday that the BBC um, uh, did a survey where it said over 60% of the public felt what the government was doing was unfair. That's pretty much unheard of. And so I think the government are in a very, very weak position. Less than 24 hours before the walkout, Britain's finance minister warned public sector workers that worse was to come. George Osborne announced an extra 330,000 civil service job cuts in addition to the nearly half a million already already planned and the proposal to raise the retirement age was brought forward. Britain's own debt crisis won't go away and women who make up a majority of the UK's public sector workers say the austerity measures affect them disproportionately. One of the uh, elements of this whole dispute that concerns them is uh, this is seen as an attack on women, primarily on women who do good work they're the cohesive part of society. They're looking after people every day of the week. Um, I think people and the female voter will, uh, will make sure that the government rules a day if they don't concede. And some public sector employees accused ministers of underhanded tactics to try and split public opinion. Jackie Hall is a child psychotherapist for Britain's National Health Service. The average pension for... Um people working in the National Health Service is £8,000 but it's made out as if the rest of the country are kind of financing something that's exorbitant but actually it's something that is, is really very modest and extremely well earned. It's just really striking, for not just for oneself, but for the young people that are starting work now. Although a third of public sector workers walked off the job, disruption was minimal and Prime Minister David Cameron played down the strike's impact in Parliament. Around 40% of schools are open. Less than a third of the civil service is actually striking. We have full cover in terms of ambulance services and only 18 out of 900 job centres have closed. So despite the disappointment of the party opposite that support irresponsible and damaging strikes, it looks like something of a damp squib. But unions hailed the walkout as a terrific success. Leaders have threatened more industrial action on the scale of the infamous winter of discontent that brought Britain to a halt in 1979. But with the UK's debt levels still rising, some economists think the next decade, and not just the next few months, is looking increasingly gloomy. Nick Martin, Deutsche Welle Radio, London. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which has just dropped its excellent radio podcast news link in favor of a combined audio-video website that may be found at mediacenter.dw-world.de. On to NHK Japan. Another nuclear power plant has been shut down because of an internal radioactive water leak, leaving only 15% of Japan's nukes in operation. Radioactive cesium was found in powdered milk, leading to the recall of 400,000 cans intended for infants. The Lower House of Japan has approved an accord to build and develop nuclear power plants in four other countries.
A major solar energy trade show has opened near Tokyo, where interest has soared after severe power shortages following the Fukushima nuclear disaster. NHK Japan. The operator of the Mihama nuclear power plant in western Japan says it has such a shut down one of three reactors because of an ongoing leak of radioactive water within the reactor. Kansai Electric Power Company says work began on Wednesday night to manually shut down the number two reactor at Mihama in Fukui Prefecture. It was completed on Thursday morning. The utility says radioactive water has been leaking from a valve in the pressure vessel into the collection tank since early November. The company says all the leaked water has been collected into the tank within the reactor and that the leakage has caused no damage to the environment. The reactor was scheduled to be shut down on December 18th for a regular checkup. The suspension means that 46 of the country's 54 reactors, or 85% of them, are currently out of operation. Japanese dairy companies are tightening tests on their products after radioactive cesium was detected in powdered milk made by the major Japanese food company Meiji. Meiji announced on Tuesday that radioactive cesium was found in samples of powdered milk for infants. The product was processed at a plant near Tokyo in March after the nuclear accident in Fukushima Prefecture. The detected levels is below the government's safety limit, but Meiji decided to replace about 400,000 cans for free. The revelation has prompted other dairy companies in Japan to take action. The lower house of Japan's Diet has approved civil nuclear cooperation agreements with Jordan, Russia, Vietnam, and South Korea. The accords won majority support from the ruling Democrats and main opposition Liberal Democrats at a plenary session on Tuesday and were sent to the upper house for final Diet endorsement. The opposition New Komeito, Communist, and other parties opposed the deals. Japan signed the agreements before the March 11th disaster and Fukushima nuclear plant accident. The accords would allow Japan to export nuclear power generation facilities and transfer related technology to the countries. Democrat Kimiko Kyono voted against the accords in defiance of her party, saying she cannot take responsibility for exporting such facilities with the plant still out of control and future safety not ensured. About 10 members of the party abstained from voting. The accords are expected to clear the upper house on Friday. A trade show exhibiting cutting edge solar cells and other eco friendly technologies has begun at a major convention center in Chiba City near Tokyo. Some 250 companies and groups from six countries, including China and Germany, are taking part in the three day event starting Monday. Interest in renewable energy has soared in Japan following the power shortages that hit much of the country after the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant accident in March. A new law that comes into effect next July also obliges Japanese power utilities to purchase solar, wind, and other forms of renewable energy with prices set by the government. Many exhibitors are showing solar panels for use in large scale power plants and factories. The panels come in various shapes to accommodate the different needs of users. Varieties range from solar panels that generate power by amassing light inside tightly arranged lenses to lightweight panels that can be bent to fit. With production of solar batteries by Chinese and Taiwanese makers growing rapidly, international competition is on the rise. 
Japanese makers are increasing their production and distribution systems, saying they expect growth on a global scale. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan, heard from 9 to 9.30 p.m. at 6110, or on the web at www.nhk.or.jp. Next, China Radio International. A Chinese entrepreneur has won a Right Livelihood Award for developing and deploying solar technology. China Radio International. As a visionary and passionate entrepreneur, Huang Ming was the first Chinese who won the Right Livelihood Awards. Jakob Fong, Wu Exkul, founder and co-chair of the Right Livelihood Award Foundation, presented the honorary award to Huang Ming. He explained why Huang Ming was awarded. Huang Ming from China receives the 2011 Right Livelihood Honorary Award for his outstanding success in the development and mass deployment of cutting-edge technologies for harnessing solar energy, thereby showing how dynamic emerging economies can contribute to resolving the global crisis of anthropogenic climate change. He said that Huang Ming is a global solar entrepreneur showing how business can help overcome the energy and the climate crisis. We think it is very important to strengthen those in China who work for renewable energy. We know that today China is not only the biggest emitter of CO2 in the world, it is also the country that has the biggest installed capacity of renewable energy. We hope to, to encourage China to really, as a country, move on the way to renewable energy because there's so much more potential as the, the work of Huang Ming demonstrates. Huang Ming is setting an example to the world with his Dezhou Solar Valley, one of the world's largest solar city development projects, which attracts up to 4,000 visitors a day, including developers, city planners, and educators. Besides his technological leadership and business record in promoting solar energy, Huang Ming was also involved in getting China's renewable energy law adopted in 2005. As board chairman of Heemin Solar in East China, Shandong Province, Huang Ming also established a solar valley serving as a model of a low-carbon emission city. In the solar valley, with the use of solar energy and waste recycling, 80% of energy can be saved compared with normal constructions. Three other winners from Chad and the United States also received their awards and shared the 150,000 euros or 205,000 US dollars cash prize. The Right Livelihood Awards was founded in 1980 to honor and support those offering practical and exemplary answers to the most urgent challenges facing us today. For CRI, this is Chen Shifei reporting from Stockholm. That report was from China Radio International, heard from 4 to 5 p.m. at 11.970, and from 6 p.m. to 11 at either 9790-6020 or 6190, or on the web at english.cri.cn. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. A viewpoint on the dissolving relationship between the United States and Pakistan, resulting in the U.S. withdrawal from a strategic air base used by the CIA for launching and controlling drones. Radio Havana, Cuba.
The seemingly good relations between the U.S. and Pakistan have been affected this year by several incidents, which have caused Islamabad to decide to revise its agreements with Washington, which has moved into the territory of that Asian nation and its alleged fight against terrorism. U.S. troops have until the 11th of this month to leave the Shamsi Air Base. Drones are used in operations directly controlled by the CIA, that is the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States. Under the hacknagged argument of fighting al-Qaeda groups in Afghanistan and Pakistan, the White House performs massive attacks in which many civilians have been killed, a fact that has stimulated an anti-American sentiment in Pakistani society. Now a controversial NATO action in late November on the border between the two Asian nations that killed 24 Pakistani soldiers has inflamed people's discontent and led to Islamabad ordering the evacuation of the U.S. military base. The circumstances surrounding the attack remain unclear. Afghan and Western officials have said the airstrike was launched in response to gunfire from the vicinity of two Pakistani border posts, while Pakistani military officials have denied these claims and said that NATO attack occurred without provocation. For now, the government of Prime Minister Yusuf Arasa Hilani also closed roads where NATO troops moved many of the fuel and supplies used in the invasion of Afghanistan, which began in 2001. For several months, the friction between Washington and Islamabad have increased in tone, and one of the main triggers was the covert operation of U.S. troops in Pakistan soil that killed Osama bin Laden, head of the Al-Qaeda and trained in the past by the CIA itself. A few months later, the U.S. government reduced the military aid given to Pakistani authorities to what the White House called an inability to deal with terrorism. Relations between the two countries are at their lowest level in a decade. Pakistani public opinion, exasperated by the unilateral U.S. operation against Bin Laden and Washington's distrust, is increasingly convinced that the strategic alliance with the United States since 2001 has affected the country's image internationally. However, it shouldn't be forgotten that the United States seeks a constant rapprochement with Pakistan, and Islamabad needs U.S. aid and other Western lenders to sustain its economy. That report was from Radio Havana, Cuba, heard from 2 to 3 p.m. at 11760, and from 4 to 11 p.m. at either 6060, 6010, or 6000. Also streaming on the web from 4 to 11 p.m. at www.radiohc.cu. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or would like to make a donation for production cost of this unfunded program, I may be reached through the website or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. I am grateful for any donations to help support this program. We will conclude with the voice of Russia. 33 countries signed on for the new Latin American organization called the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States, or CELAC. It has been largely caused by the overpowering influence of the United States and the Monroe Doctrine. The Voice of Russia. 
33 Latin American and Caribbean countries met in Venezuela on Saturday to sign a document forming a new regional bloc. The document, which is being called the Declaration of Caracas, creates the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States, or CELAC, in order to forge and strengthen economic and political cooperation between its members. Notably, the group excluded both Canada and the U.S., and Bloomberg suggests that the exclusion could be a sign that the organization plans to compete with similar U.S.-based organizations. Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez told the summit of the Latin American leaders in Caracas that the organization fulfills the dreams of Simón Bolívar and other figures of liberation in the region who envisaged independence of the region some 200 years ago. He said, We're laying the foundation stone for integration. Only unity will make us free. Several members of the new organization view it as a real alternative to Washington's Organization of American States, or the OAS, hoping that it could serve to undermine what they perceive as undue U.S. influence in the region. Chavez told the summit, As the years go by, CELAC is going to leave behind the old and worn-out OAS. And Nicaragua's president, Daniel Ortega, described the creation of the bloc as a death sentence for the Monroe Doctrine, an 18th century U.S. policy which it has used to justify extensive intervention in Latin American nations. Ecuadorian President Rafael Correa even suggested that CELAC should break ties with the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights and create its own monitoring system. Chavez also presented a statement opposing the U.S. trade embargo on fellow CELAC member Cuba, which has long been a target of the U.S. Chavez said, no more interference. Enough is enough. We have to take shape as the center of the world power and demand respect for all of us as community and for each one of our countries. However, other countries who enjoy close trade and political ties with the U.S. view CELAC as a complementary organization. Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos pointed out, this is in our interest, not against the OAS or Ibero-American Summit, and this is integration between Latin America and the Caribbean. He described the creation of the bloc as a step in the right direction for Latin America, a region that's largely viewed by many as having great economic and political potential. While many of the world's leading economies were left badly shaken by the recent financial crises, Latin America actually fared relatively well, managing to grow at least 5% last year. Nearly 600 million people live in CELAC member countries, and the bloc's gross domestic product currently stands at about $6 trillion. Brazil, which is also a member of the BRICS organization, is now one of the fastest-growing economies globally. However, Brazilian President Dilma Rousseff said during the summit that Latin American countries should increasingly rely on their regional partners to continue to withstand economic shocks. She said, the economic financial crisis should be at the center of our concerns. She added that Latin America should realize that to guarantee its current cycle of development despite the international economic turbulence, it means that every politician must be aware that each one needs the others. Group members also proposed the creation of a regional reserve fund for economic crises. Many analysts say that CELAC represents an effort by Latin American nations to gain greater independence from the U.S. Robert Monks of the global think tank IHS Jeans told Reuters, this has been aided by a progressive disengagement from the region by the U.S. since the end of the Cold War, allowing other countries, most notably China, to increase their footprint. In an echo of Monk's statement, the first global leader to officially congratulate CELEC was Chinese President Hu Jintao. 
According to Xinhua News Agency, the Chinese president pledged to deepen cooperation with CELAC and noted that in the 21st century, relations between China and Latin America have been developing quickly. Sun Hongbo, a Latin American expert at the Chinese Academy of Sciences, wrote for China Daily, Most Latin American countries want to escape or at least weaken the overwhelming influence of the U.S. Sun added that Latin American leftists have been gaining power and in the process have been fighting U.S. influence in all fields, from ideology to economy, finance, trade, security, and diplomacy. That report was from The Voice of Russia. Russia is now heard from 6 p.m. to 10 at 12.030-13665-9840 or through their website www.english.ruvr.ru. All the times I've announced are for Pacific Standard Time. Please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts using a shortwave radio at home. However, if you use the internet, listening globally is also quite easy. See the links at this program's website. Every Friday morning, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's www.outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Find internet links for international broadcasters, make a safe donation through PayPal, and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report is free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.